It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. And here we are again for another edition of the Redirect Podcast. This is episode number three. It's uh, Jason from Black Truck Media and Marketing. I'm joined by Patrick and Ashley again this week. And we're going to jump right in and talk about uh, search industry trends and, and some things that uh, maybe we learned over the week. Uh, I just got back from the Inbounder World Tour. I was out there on Monday in New York. Uh, that's an event that was put on by Jean-Luca. And um, wanted to share with you guys kind of some, some, I guess, more or less trends. I don't want to get into like complete details on on um, <clears throat> like in-depth analysis of everyone's slide decks and things like that, but it's more. I think it's more helpful that you guys get to hear about trends and things that really stood out to me. And I think uh, individuals listening to the podcast will probably find value in that as well. Um, so one thing that I really found interesting was uh, was a lot of discussion around uh, machine learning AI. Um, so more so, let's talk about machine learning and the less emphasis being placed on um, mobile first, right? It seems like over the past year, year and a half, we keep talking about mobile first, mobile first, mobile first, and now um, everything is very much um, everything is very much this this whole focus on machine learning and what Google's doing and Fast forward, here we are. So Mike King, so Mike King, a lot of people know him on Twitter as iPoll Rank. I think Mike's a, a really good technical SEO. And Mike had a lot of really good things to share in terms of like kind of top level reminders like AI is not machine learning. Like there's subsets in there. Hmm. And so it almost it almost goes like machine learning could also be known as a derivative of AI, which then you have deep, deep learning or deep knowledge that is a subset thereafter. So it kind of, we kind of went pretty deep in that whole discussion. But um, the biggest things that I pulled out of it were the thoughts on supervised versus unsupervised learning in Mm -hmm. machine learning. So, so supervised learning might be kind of like, um, like a Pandora or a Spotify, and Patrick, you and I might have talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. So you start off with a genre. So, uh, for instance, my my wonderful PM Dawn uh, Pandora <laughs> channel that I like. That's this great, like late '80s, early '90s R&B soul um, mixed with hip hop. All of a sudden, now you set it off in a path and in a direction. And then it supposedly starts to learn, but the only way that it learns is by supervision from you, the user, by thumbing up, thumbing down, skipping tracks, not skipping tracks, that type of thing. So it starts to learn more and more about what you, uh, what your likes are. I don't know if, if I can't remember since I'm not a huge Spotify user yet. Is Spotify that way too, Patrick? You're um, a Spotify you can, user. It recognizes the genre that you're listening to, the, the style of music by the band. You have the ability to check a song that you like it. Okay. Um, recently, they rolled out a new feature that I have since deactivated because I didn't quite care for it. 
was too Pandora-ish, where um, at the end of your selected playlist, it would just keep playing music based on what was coming out of that playlist. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you could thumbs up or thumbs down it to help oh, teach it. So like a la, like, like um, Amazon-esque, yeah. people who also bought yeah. this yeah. bought this yeah. or they like, you're more likely to I, buy. I turned that feature off because I play a playlist because I like <clears> that playlist. Um, and they didn't give any kind of notation as to when that it switched over from playlist to their, their guessing. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait, I don't recognize this song. And I look back and my, my two-hour playlist ended three hours ago. You know, so I turned it off because I didn't care for it. I was, it wasn't going down the path I liked for it. And it was just like Pandora. And I, I stopped using Pandora because I liked the way Spotify worked better. So it's interesting that you... Yeah, no, that's interesting because it ties really in closely with really, I think, where Mike was going with, with his whole discussion. And it was around... Uh, and I might even... I was probably tweeting at random about it during the event, but like, is your brand prepared for the fallout from machine learning? Meaning like chatbots, chatbots are really great, especially for those, those, um, products and services that are highly customer, um, customer service intensive, Mm -hmm. um, frequently asked questions can quickly be turned into chatbot answers Mm -hmm. before maybe you or I in the customer service realm, take over mm-hmm. um but like what happens if it provides you with bad feedback or bad answers um there's there's certain news organizations and publications out there that have like machine learning or algorithms that are powering headlines and that's where you get some of these maybe vulgar yeah. headlines and things that come out that just aren't so they're not it's not fake news by any chance it's just the machine screwed up couple nights ago I read an article uh, I think it was Vox um, how Instagram's explore tab is taking over the world hmm. I mean, it was a it's a you know glorified title but it's basically saying I, don't, I know you two are Instagram users I don't mm-hmm. know how much you go into the explore tab more um, and more I have yeah. been using it now. and um, mine circulates my usage of Instagram as far as uh, um, visual liking goes around three things woodworking fitness and um like outdoor camping kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and depending what i'm in the mood for what i happen to start clicking on the next day it's more heavily influenced on that like i've been looking at fitness stuff lately and so right now my explore tab is really heavily with with um with the fitness stuff Hmm. and over the weekend if i like start trying to explore woodworking it'll all be woodworking the next day it's interesting that you say that because I've noticed that for me too, but for me, it keeps saying, you know, it says the recommended for you on the explore tab. Mm. Sometimes I get that and it's always here. Like it'll tell you like the category that it's recommending mm. to you. I don't get that. And that's what it's done for me lately. And it says hair braiding. I have never looked up anything about hair braiding on Instagram. Your so. hair is too short. And my hair is too short to braid. So, um, I don't know where that's coming from, but interesting. I, yeah. So I use that too, the recommended for you. And maybe that's the, 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 the initial approach to the explore tab. And mine is, <clears throat> mine is as you know, is very much um, old pre-war, World War II car stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much on kids' things because I think Instagram does a good job at actually filtering that stuff out. 
Um, but it's certainly that and then uh, marketing-related type items. But recently I've noticed a lot of – I had made mention to someone in like a back-channel conversation, so a private message on Instagram – that I might be interested someday in owning like a 29 to a 32 Ford Roadster. And now I see a lot of potential like photos of carcasses of 29 Model A Roadsters that are for sale. So I I do think it's interesting that, that that technology exists. I don't think anybody has the true answer as to how to take right. advantage of that yet from a marketer's perspective. And it's, it's all going to be too in that instance with the tool of Instagram it's how deeply you use it and how many taps to view you're going at and like where true. you're pausing and what you're looking at and how much time you're spending on those categories and a lot of it too is related around hashtags. If you're looking at yeah. these images and many of them have shared hashtags, mm. that's what they're getting their data mm. off of. Interesting. It's, it's a really good point. Hmm. Well, I guess to wrap that that whole thought up, that whole conversation up was really, you know, machine learning is great. We're just we're just starting. Like that is that is where we're at right now. I mean, it's actually been around for quite a while, mm-hmm. but from the PR side of it and like the digital communications and potential crisis management that might come out of that, like yeah. I I think having having machine learning. And maybe a chat bot or something like that being a part of your strategic communications plan is great. But companies also need to understand, like, holy hell, like what are we what are we gonna do if? Like that's the that's the proverbial robots mm. taking over. Like, you know, the robot taking over is the robot screwing up because it it maybe wasn't supervised properly. But then it's an interesting <clears throat> aspect of that is how much of the blame is the company itself going to get if we, if they can just blame it on the robots too? That's just a whole different yeah uh, twist yeah. on it. The but. robots are getting their initial seeds from the company though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the company has to program the initial go <clears throat> That's button. True. Yeah. And it's still up to the company. But, but to from buy. there, yeah, yeah. it's still yeah. up to, the, to tweak it. You know, you just let it. You set it and forget it. For like a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and then you come back in a week and then you let it run for maybe four days. I think it's interesting. We'll, right. we'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah. um, but anyways, I'd say go, go ahead and share. Uh, let's talk about what you guys read this week too. Well, I was geeking out this afternoon reading um, a piece from Miriam Ellis at Moz. Um, article called Location Data and Reviews, the one-two punch of local SEO. You totally stole my topic. Yes. <laughs> it's a good thing I have more. Well, we can we can go back and forth, but I was just geeking out the whole time I was reading this because a lot of these, um, just a lot of the ideas that she covers have been floating around in my head um, because, as we know, like the reviews themselves may not necessarily influence search rankings, but um, although she does cover that it looks like it's kind of moving in that direction, um, but I love that she just broke it down so simply that, you know, a company can get found with location data and they get chosen with reviews. And so, um, you know, if you get found through a user search, uh, but you have two stars and the other companies that show up have five stars, you're not going to get chosen. And 
um, or at least it's quite likely that you won't get chosen. And so then, you know, that creates some big opportunities for um, improvement. Did she did she go into into great detail? I didn't get all the way through the article because uh, that was published on uh, Monday, I think it was when I was gone, and I was reading it kind of in newsfeed airport mm. coming back, and I was like, oh yeah, like it was. I think it was very much that. Duh, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. But also, what about what industry though? Right? Like, would it? Would you say that that? Are you more likely to do work with an SEO firm that has a four or five star rating on Google mm-hmm. versus one that doesn't? Do you like? Do you really yeah. care? Like, does a does a um, does a Fortune five hundred company really place any weight on that? Like, I'm my opinion of the matter is no, they don't. But I, I think more where where she's going with it is your true air quotes, <laughs> you know local local business sure I think um, two you have to really like you said what's the industry and what's the product that's being delivered with that review it, yeah people can live and die by the review systems and at the same time though they take it with a grain of salt and understand mm-hmm. that okay so 3,000 people have made this review and purchase this but yet it's got a three and a half star it's like okay what what are those mm-hmm. negative reviews mm-hmm. it, you know, oftentimes it can be like well ups destroyed my box so i only gave it a three star review right well that has nothing to do with the product right yeah you know or how often have you read a product that says or a review that says i haven't actually received the product yet but i'm really excited about it yeah. right you know so she used the example specifically of um looking up tacos in, mm. in an area. Um, and so there were a couple of local um, restaurants that came up, and then number three was Taco Bell. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Taco Bell had two stars, the local Taco Bell, compared to the others that had four, I believe. And so it was a very interesting little breakdown that she did. Um, and one of her points was, um, you know, maybe bigger companies don't need to worry about this as much because um, they kind of have the, their brand established already. Or, hmm. um, But then these reviews really create an opportunity for smaller businesses to compete because they can do more, um, I guess, to scale, um, to make an impact, to make those reviews be more positive. They can take the feedback and implement it probably mm-hmm. more easily. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, she approached it in a way as um, like a quality control and, and taking the opportunity to respond and use it as a way to um, implement changes in your business if you're noticing a lot of trends in the negative reviews that you get. Um, I, I think that's good too. And I think that there are, are those larger corporations that have either franchises, franchisees, mm-hmm. You know, A, take note of this. B, what are you going to do about it? I mean, if you're a, if you're a Domino's Pizza or a Little Caesars or a Jimmy John's, yep. those, are, those are a franchise model. I can understand how quickly, you know, as a franchise owner that I would want to go out and claim my stuff, at least if I was a digitally minded sub shop mm-hmm. owner, I would want to go and claim that. But is there... 
what are the corporate rules of engagement for that? And, and are they monitoring? Who's monitoring it? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? How are you encouraging reviews? Mm-hmm. Like, like all of that. Yeah. How does that? I think that just mm-hmm. opens a Pandora's box of, it, like, it does. you better have it together. Yeah. There's a lot of different levels, too, that, I mean, we've all seen it um, through different social media channels. I, I, I'm a serial lurker on Reddit, <laughs> and you see those articles in there where uh, one person put, uh, had a, a, a bad re- review of something. It's like, hey, here's my experience. All right. Reddit Army, go go downvote them to, to all nations. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you get internet trolls going out there mm-hmm. and putting reviews for something that aren't really accurate. And it right. can totally skew It's a cruel world. Yeah. On the flip side of that, um, I run an after-hours business when I'm out of my day job here, you know, with the woodworking stuff um, on Etsy. I get reviews. And when mm-hmm. I first got into that game, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of reviews yet. So one bad review could totally skew my yeah. overall mm-hmm. rating. Yeah. Um, to put it in perspective, I've had roughly 500 sales and I have 50, 65 reviews. I think I've had maybe four four-star reviews, but it's still overall, I have a five-star rating as a shop. But I have no control of it. I'm looking at a, a four-star out of five-star review, review right now. This is the entire review that I got four out of five for. They're beautiful. I purchased them as a gift for my wife and she loved them. Yeah, and I only got so four. Why, out of, yeah. I only got four out of five stars. Well, I think I take it take it this way though too. Not to not to get too far off topic. I think this is really good, but there's a there's a difference though, right? And I think it's I right. think it's good that we draw a line in the sand and understand the difference. I'm a local taco shop versus I'm selling online. Doesn't have to be woodworking. Right. It could be anything. Think of eBay, right? I mean, a seller on eBay yeah. still wants like, hey, bro, give me good review, like, <laughs> yeah. right, like, oh. A plus would buy from yeah. again the right, typical right. can BS response right. that I'm going to give you if I, you know, if if what you sell me is true and it shows up without dents or dings in it, it that's like way different because I never met you, I never interacted anything. Where if mm. I go to like my local Del Taco in Southern California and I'm like horrible experience, right. I'm going to rant and rave about it. Versus, um, you know, uh, locally here in Grand Rapids, Donkey, you mm-hmm. know, like. Do, how was my experience? How was the food? Can I comment? It it, it it takes additional effort because that happened offline to go online and make that review versus the online yeah. transaction. Mm-hmm. It can be very seamless. Yeah. That review becomes very yeah. seamless too. So right. um, that's a that's a big deal. And people, yeah, you hit the point that people are much more likely to leave a negative review than a positive review oh, too. And she hit on um, how you know, a lot of small businesses, well-meaning, will kind of recruit family and friends to leave their first reviews, and that's totally dishonest. And um, so it, I think that there's there's a lot of good stuff that she covered, and it just was, I, I feel geeky, but it was just like, <laughs> it, was, it was really exciting to read because I just, it covered a lot of, um, areas that I was really interested in related to reviews, and so awesome, good read, Patrick. What uh, what's on your mind this week? Um, well, when you were traveling the world, <laughs> New York is not the world, but uh, it's the hub of the world. Isn't it's that worldly. It felt like it. Yeah. Smelled like it. <laughs> yeah, it smelled like it. Um, Ashley and I here, we jumped in. Sorry, on, New York. On the um, <laughs> the keynote. That was on uh, Tuesday the 23rd about uh, <clears throat> Google ad, uh, Ads, Analytics, DoubleClick, and all the new uh, things that are rolling out with that. Sweet. Um, it was an 
hour-long, jam-packed full of all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Was um, it riveting? Yeah, it, there was some nerdery for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, there was um, easily distracting points where we could kind of stray off and then it would pull us back in. Um, but it was, it was interesting. Um, they're rolling out a couple of new tools and a couple of new um, reporting points and metrics to look at. Um, one thing, there's one area that I really liked, that I, a new tool um, called Google Attribution. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have all the details on it yet and how it's all going to play out, uh, but uh, it's going to help break us down. I think the guy said, um, on average... You, you touch five different devices a day? Or yeah, like yeah. Remote, the average uh, person... It's pretty impressive yeah. stat. Yeah. I would believe yeah. that, right? Yeah, yeah. so uh, you have five different devices. There are five different areas where you're getting fed this information. I think you and I discussed it briefly on Wednesday. Um, who's getting served what and when? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're, we're looking, like, as a um, Google Analytics <laughs> user, it's you have sessions and unique sessions uh, or unique visitors. And where is that data? You know, if like I'm hunting for the same thing going across several different, from my phone to a tablet to the computer to the to the work computer to the personal computer, mm-hmm. um, if I'm still searching for the same thing and it's still weighing on my head, am I being served similar ads across different devices? In the past, the attribution funnel, um, that... PC might get the credit for finally closing. The it's deal. always last click. I yeah. mean, that's the default yeah. is last click. Unless you wanted to go through the, let's just put it out there, the pain. That most, mm-hmm. most, I would say most search marketers understand whether you sit on the organic or the paid side. Mm-hmm. The, the current attribution model or system, so building that model out inside analytics is not an easy process. No, mm-hmm. no. And it's in, they're going to make that um, <clears throat> You make it easy now, so you're gonna be able to see that. And in, in, like I said, who's getting served what when? They give a timeline on that at all? Uh, I think soon. There's a like, like Q3 type. The, of he said in the coming months. It's there's some beta testers out there right now, and then they just said in the coming months. So yeah. I've Back been, in 2012, they said that they were gonna get rid of spam in yeah. analytics. Yeah, too. yeah, right. Spam <laughs> it's uh, 2017. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so there's definitely room to explore in that. And the biggest thing I thought was in that whole funnel process of who gets the sale, um, it's going to go back to the beginning. That's great. And it's where whoever got the, the, the original sale. And again, I don't know, I mean, is it going to be the, the original view or impression or is it going to be like the average impression? Like did he see it like 12 times on his phone yeah. or did he see it six times on the tablet? Mm-hmm. You know, or is he going to be able to break it down and see all those different attributions yeah, it's I'm, pretty I'm anxious cool. for that then. Yeah. I'm all for that. There was other different elements in there too that um, still needs to get weeded out. So I'm, if you want to go on to the next one, I can try to go through my... Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, I think I since Ashley stole my, my discussion point from Moz, you know, um, maybe more from the inbounder to share with you guys on, on what I what I heard and what I was absorbing from other, um, you know, thought leaders in the search marketing space was, um, uh, Jean-Luc's presentation was very in depth. Um, and probably the most like nerdy of all of them. Um, I would have expected more nerdy from like Rand or, or Mike or someone like that. But, um, 
he hit two things that were very interesting, actually multiple things. So the biggest thing was um, the news source, and it might be a reminder for us in the search marketing space, like our news or signals of what's going to happen or what's happening shouldn't come from, let's just say, four sources, uh, a.k.a. Uh, the SEMPOS, search engine roundtable, search engine watch, like the, the usuals, you know, keep in mind at the end of the day, like we should be reading the Google Webmaster blog and and the publications and the information that Google puts out and, and actually Bing too, right? I mean, we should be keeping up to date on that because these other, these other outlets are just that, they're news and media and, and mm-hmm. publications, which is probably part of the reason why like we're even having this discussion the way we do is more like, mm, do we really think that that's legitimate or mm. what's our take on it? Is that BS? So, um, so that was interesting. But the, the, the thing outside of machine learning, which I talked about before was, um, you know, the whole concept of AMP or accelerated mobile pages and everybody like, oh my God, we got to do AMP. We got to do AMP. I have been a long time, long time being the past year, um, I guess, subscriber to the notion that I don't think that AMP is right for every site. I think AMP is very well suited for news media outlets, right? Because it's going to be served in a carousel style, especially in a mobile uh, variety at the top of Google. Mm. So if you're a major news publication or even a, a, a micro on a local level news publication, you should do that. I've researched it from like Michigan Ski Report's perspective, like, ah, all of our blog post content should be AMP, right? But if you're a manufacturer and you have all of these product pages, like I question whether or not mm. the, the, the time and financial investment you have to make in the development to make... AMP happen on all of your product pages, I think is, I, I don't know if I want to make the statement that it's complete waste of time and resources, but, but in all reality, I don't, I don't know as if that's a really good use of, of that spend, especially mm-hmm. when we know if you do a search for, you know, name your widget, these, what are those, those fidget damn spinners. fidget spinners, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, what's going to get served up, you're going to get shopping ads are going to get served up. AMP ads or AMP um, um, pages, and I, 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 I even hate saying that because AMP is accelerated mobile pages, so I'm saying accelerated mobile pages, uh-huh. pages. but mm-hmm. you're going to get ads, AMP, then organic, uh, you know, other organic listings. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're selling them, you're probably going to want to rank really well organically, obviously. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, like probably transactionally, I want to have some shopping ads in there as well. Like right. I want to have a good mix. So um, anyways, where Jean-Luca was going with it is the the approach of, are we going to see the increase in PWAs or progressive web apps? So uh, uh, an example of a PWA would be an app like Flipboard, where it can operate on your device in the background, offline, hmm. like it, it, it loads a certain amount. You're you're able to see it. You're able to read data and things like that. But if you want to get more, it will it will go to um, the actual article or pull that data in. Uh, Feedly would probably yeah. fall in that role too. So there's certain amount of 
of interaction and data that can be pulled in already offline and waiting for you. But if you want more, it has to connect and it has to go somewhere and pull that in. So mm. I think we're going to see based off of what he was saying is like the direction of that going. So um, I think, I think it's very interesting how everything is shifted. We still have a mobile focus, but our mobile focus is now on, on this segment, right. uh, the, the AMP versus PWA, um, fight um and then back to my original point on machine learning versus mobile ready i mean again if you're not mobile ready in 2017 and you're not thinking that i I don't care what you're selling like that you're just missing that's just missing the boat Mm -hmm. um so i found that to be really really interesting stuff and i guess the last point on that in closing is that uh jean-luca made a good point about so many individuals trying to to gauge and track what Google's doing next. Hmm. They're basing it off of patents and patent applications that they pull. When in reality, instead of chasing patents, what we should be looking at is the actual papers and studies that that, that Google's involved in and that they publish because that's beyond a patent at that point. Hmm. That's information that they're actually investing time and monetary resources into what's happening with that data or for data collection. So it's almost like, ah, the patent's there, but screw the patent. What are we writing about? What are they actually documenting? What are they doing mm-hmm. with said technology? Because that's that's probably a really straight straight up indication of, of where things are going. So I hats off to hats off to him. I, I thought that that was a really great connection point. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Anybody have anything else they want to share? I have um, just a little one here. Um, Speaking of how we shouldn't get all of our information from (laughs) certain sites, but this is from SEMrush, um, a blog from um, Dan Taylor. And um, he was just um, talking about the signals of a quality web page, which, you know, as SEOs, we're pretty much aware of these. But he was talking about the... Um, the EAT signals, the expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness, um, and broke that down a little bit. I thought it was a good, quick read. Um, The one part that stuck out to me most was he was talking about how people seem to be obsessed with the concept of having at least 500 words on a page, and we were just, (laughs) we were just, you know, talking about this a little bit with a client, um, about a client's project earlier today, and, um, this was, you know, following the, the Panda algorithm. And, and he says, the truth is that uh, you need to write as much content as is needed that sufficiently answers a user query, whether this is 100 words, 5,000 words, or two words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that was kind of a refreshing yeah. statement. Um, and it makes sense to me. Um, obviously, um, you want to give your users as much information as possible. Yeah. Um, but rather than meeting a word count, just making sure that you're just satisfying what they're looking for. Yeah, I wish there was a way for the the machine learning to recognize fluff content mm-hmm. versus legit content. Like a, um, the industry you were working on before a meeting. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Talking about, man, every brand is the biggest, the best, and the most innovative. Yeah, yeah. They all are. So it's like, all. I mean, at the end, I yeah. mean, and you can we can talk about yeah. it a little bit more in depth, but it was it was specific to the marine industry, and it's it's every 
every boat manufacturer is high quality, every boat model is spacious, <laughs> and every boat model has ample amounts of storage. Well, that's all BS at the end of the day. If they all have it, right, then right. are we going to, should we just go look at every boat manufacturer and be like, I, I don't know, honey, it would, I don't, it, this one doesn't have an ample amount of storage. I mean, that, come on, that's really, you know, yeah. but at the same, at the same standpoint, like I, I get where he's going with it, but that content, and this is probably going to throw it back in your court, Ashley, as, as more content centric thinking it still needs to be well-structured, right? Yes. I mean, oh, yes. throw throw 300 words on a page or throw 100 words on the page, and if they're all in one blob, mm-hmm. and it looks like garbage, there's nobody that's going to read that, right? right? right. So regardless mm-hmm. of a search engine reading or not and finding relevancy... Got to make it useful for... Exactly. And, and not just useful, but um, accessible and right. interesting right. to the people who land on the page. Yeah. No, that's good. Awesome. Well, guys, we're uh, about out of time on this, so I say we're going to go ahead and close this one out for this week. Um, So coming up, we're going to be at Search Love Boston. Uh, We actually, in about a week, we fly out. So um, we'll see if we can uh, take the the show on the road, pack the mic up, and uh, we're talking about maybe uh, finding... A bar or coffee shop to record in uh, next well, we week. Can do it from the USS Constitution. Oh, that Whoa. would be that would be cool. Hmm. I don't know. So stay stay tuned to find out, and uh, we'll catch you on the next redirect podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been the redirect podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.